This episode will be a bit of a double-barrelled episode done in our two-part format, but this time we will be discussing two related topics, the golden age of pirates and, in part two, the pirate Steed Bonnet and why we are still talking about him almost 400 years after his death. The golden age of pirates is considered to be roughly from the late 17th century until about 1730. During this time, there was a rise in valuable cargoes being shipped around the world, Think of the gold and silver that was taken from the Americas back to Europe and the African slave trade, and you've got an idea. And the quality of the colonial governments administering the new world were left a lot to be desired. So far away from the base to develop resources and infrastructure. That's Mm. right. That's right. They were outposts. It is during this time that such pirates as Blackbeard and Sir Francis Drake were earning their reputations and fortunes. In part one of our pirate discussion, we will look at some pirate myths, have a wee look at the pirate code, and discuss a few of the better known pirates. In part two of our pirate discussion, we will focus on Steed Bonnet, an unusual pirate, and look at what made him unusual and worthy of discussion now. So joining me this morning, dear listener, we are doing a morning recording. So I am bouncing out of my chair because I'm a morning person. And the captain and Sid are going, oh, my goodness, what the hell are we doing here? (laughs) So hello, Captain, and hello, Sid. Good morning. Good morning. And it's a pirate theme. I feel a bit rough, so arr. Arr. (laughs) Right. I haven't touched booze in about two and a half years. I swear Uh, to you, I'm not drinking. Yeah, but you were getting (laughs) into the mood and you've um, had rum for breakfast. Well, you didn't want to drink the water because it would have greedlies in it. The rum was fermented. It was it was safe to drink. So you'd have your tot of rum and off you'd go. That said, I mean, lots of people back then did have alcohol when we would normally drink water. It begs the question, you don't drink as much alcohol. You'd have a tot of rum, rum not, you know, 250 mils of rum. So how were they not dehydrated? They must have had some water because what do you do when you make landfall and you see so many stories of this, the first thing that they do is look for accessible drinking water. Mm. And there's so many stories where they've landed here, sent the scouts out, couldn't find them. All right, let's go into the next harbour, see what we can find. Yeah. Yeah. Many stories. I mean, think about um, why Sydney is where it is in Sydney. So we'll just do a couple of definitions so people know where we're at. And, dear listener, I hasten to add there are actual specific pirate-focused podcasts out there, and if you are interested in learning more about pirates, may I suggest that you go there. We're just doing a general gloss over pirates just for our own entertainment, I suppose. Rightio. So a pirate is a person who commits an act of robbery or violence on a ship and its crew or on coastal regions from a ship. Pretty basic. A buccaneer and a freebooter are other names for pirates. Oh, okay. A privateer is pirating under the flag of a sovereign nation. So Francis Drake was a privateer. 
but he could do pirate type practices. Well, he was, was sanctioned privateer. by the government. Yeah. He was sanctioned by the Queen. She gave him a letter of mark to be a uh-huh. privateer. You needed letter of mark saying I'm policing the waters or whatever on behalf of Her Majesty's government. Francis Drake was around the time of um, Elizabeth the first. So, so if you're sanctioned by the monarch, you're not a pirate, but you can do pirate things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. He was a privateer. Another name for a privateer is a corsair. They were used around Africa. That was the term used mm-hmm. around there. So if you're okay. going into Morocco and places like that. A shanghaier is one who obtains the crew of the ship. So, you know, you go and find a drunkard and you pick him up and drag him back to the ship. He wakes up sober the next morning and goes, bloody hell, I'm on a ship. And you can have river pirates, so they work up and down river systems. You can. There's a marooner, so there is someone who maroons other people on deserted islands. A letter of mark authorised a person to sink and capture ships from which they could keep a portion of the booty. So that's how you make your fortune, you keep some of the booty. With pirates, there's lots of myths out there about pirates. The golden age of pirates being from about 1690 to 1730, it was only about 40 years, really. But that's the time that Hollywood Hollywood really grabbed hold of the golden age of pirates because I suppose the clothes gives it an air of glamour. Plus you've got great characters like Blackbeard and Sir Francis Drake and, oh, who are the other ones? It's all right. I, like I know it's not where you're going to, but th- taking it to an extreme measure, look at Johnny Depp's character that he played. That's right. Taking That's it right. to a very extreme measure, yeah. Yeah. And Probably the, not historically correct. Oh, you think? Guess. You think? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, with the myths, Hollywood's got a lot to answer for. So you've got the pirate accent with the R. Robert Newton was an actor who played Long John Silver in many movies and he created the accent. However, many pirates were from the southwest of England because they came out of Plymouth, they came out of Bristol, they came out of places like that. And people from yeah. Southwest England have that burry, arry kind of accent. So yeah, they roll their R's. Yeah, they I've roll their I've got a their... combine harvester. Yes, very much so. And that's where a lot of pirates came from. A lot of the crews of pirates came from. Francis Drake's from Devon, I think it is. And they did stats and 42% of pirates were from Cornwall's Devon and Somerset. So that's a big proportion of, of course, we're talking British pirates. So, Well, isn't it the pirates of Penzance? Yes, yeah. Um, Walk the plank. No, that's a Hollywood construction. Mm -hmm. I mean, pirates, they they weren't going to do anything as fancy as walking the plank. If they wanted you dead, they'd shoot you or keelhaul you or just, I don't know, run you through or something. They're not going to go all elaborate and have you walk the plank. Um, well, it's too too much fanfare, isn't it? Unless, in all seriousness, for discipline, they wanted to make an example of you so everyone can see it. They'd flog you, know? you. Yeah, flog you or, or literally throw you off the ship, I yeah, would imagine. or maroon yeah. you. Mm. There's, there's so many other ways to do it. Walking the plank is a Hollywood construct. Treasure maps, rare. Buried treasure, only a couple of famous for it, Francis Drake and Captain Kidd. Francis Drake found a big haul of Spanish silver, I think it was, and he just couldn't get it. He and his crew couldn't get it all back to the ship, so they buried it. Um, uh, there's one example in a small island between Alaska and Russia. Oh, really? Yeah, and that one's interesting because this is a pirate very late in the pirate era. We're talking something like about the 
1860s, 70s, something like that, like very, very late. Yeah. And he was being hounded by the American Navy. And so he realised that if he could offload some of his stuff, if he ever got caught, it's like, hey, it's not me kind of thing. And on that specific island, he created a lot of markers. Now, what's made it hard to find the treasure, because they only found certain instances, is that subsequently during World War II, it became a military base and they actually changed the landscape of the land, you know, to create the various types of things there. And it's made the maps very hard to use because he's very clearly made references to things that don't exist now. Wow. And wow. Uh, there's a Netflix doco about this too. I found it fascinating because they now believe they know where it is on the island, but it's almost inaccessible because it's all, it's also in the area where they've offloaded all their unused bombs. Oh, that's a problem. Yeah, they put them all in the same place. <laughs> yes. But it's fascinating, the whole journey. What's the name of the doco? I will have to look it up, but I remember watching it about a month ago thinking, I've never heard of this one before. Please do. But I, yeah. Yeah, please do. That's fascinating. Mm. Myths, nicknames and pseudonyms. Yep. They wanted Fair to enough. disguise their identity from authorities and from enemies, and they also wanted to protect their families at home. Ah, yeah. Um, the parrot on the shoulder, no. Animals were kept for trade purposes and for food. You know, I mean, they were running a business. A lot of them didn't have spare cash to have pets. So, yeah. Eye patch, yes. If if only because some of them only had one eye. But also you covered one eye so you always had one eye adjusted to the dark because below deck was dark and if you went down you'd just pull your eye patch off, swing it over to the other one. Um, so you had one eye always adjusted for um Wow, that's deck. amazing. Yeah, it was really important and especially if they needed to do things quickly. Peg legs, yeah. Just yep. on that, didn't get the name of the, um, sorry, Princess, didn't get the name of the pirate, but I've discovered the Netflix one. It's called Pirate Gold of a Dak Island, A-D-A-K. So okay. it's a more modern thing trying to find the pirate's treasure. I remember watching it. They showed some of the history of it. Like this was a pirate very late in the piece. And some of the issues with finding it because of how north it is and how close it is to the North Pole, they're often dealing with permafrost a lot of the time of the year. Ooh. Imagine trying to dig for your booty through permafrost. Um, well, obviously he did it during like the summer up there, which may have meant only a top of 10 degrees or something, but the, the rest of the year it's it's regularly below zero. Wow. A Dak Island. Yeah, and I remember I'm just, watching it being well and truly sucked into it. I was fascinated. I'm jotting it down so I can look it up. That sounds fascinating. Just a couple more myths. Peg legs, yep, because lots were battled, scarred, and they weren't all fancy pants peg legs. They were just, you know, stumps of wood but they did the job. Jolly Rogers, yep, except every pirate had a different kind of Jolly Roger. Some were looked more like Jolly Rogers, some didn't. They were monsters, a myth that they were monsters, you know, terrible people. Some were. I mean, it's the same as people today. Some are monsters. But no, Captain Kidd had a mansion in New York City. Captain Kidd helped found the Trinity Episcopal Church and paid for a family pew. And many ships had behavioural codes of conduct. After. Mm. Yeah, yeah. They look like Jack Sparrow. No, that's Hollywood. <laughs> they were socially isolated. No. There were extensive networks. They had a mail system between pirates. You know, letters would go from ship to ship. And 
they communicated with their families as regularly as any other merchant sailor would. Pirates served no useful purpose. No, they gave countries' economies a leg up. Look at Francis Drake in England and the money he brought back to them. Mm. They supplied gold, silver, food, luxury goods. They employed decommissioned sailors. Navies and armies were not full-time in those days. So they had a lot of unemployed sailors and things. So if you're a sailor on a ship and if you're, you know, just a seaman or a midshipman of some kind and you get decommissioned and you're young, what else are you going to do? But how handy would those skill sets be for the pirates? And how handy would a pirate skill set be for when you recommissioned back into the Navy? Mm -hmm. It works Mm -hmm. both ways. Women brought bad luck. It was a common myth that women brought bad luck if they were on a ship. However, there were female pirates. There was Anne Bonny. There was Mary Reed. They were also considered a distraction, as women frequently were in those days. How did they meet their needs? Oh, as with the Navy today, there are lots of jokes about sailors comforting Uh, each other. What I'm trying to say is it's not a part that you hear about in the folklore. That's what I'm trying to get at. Well, yeah, but you didn't hear about that. They didn't write about that sort of stuff generally at that time. I know, but when you think about it through, logically it would have happened. Of course it happened. But it's not part of the folklore. It's part of the folklore. Of course it happens. It's just not written history. I mean, why don't the village people have a pirate? Oh, well, they had a Navy. They had a Navy person. Yeah, I know. That's the modern rendition of it. There we go. (laughs) Yes. The pirate Bart Roberts had a pirate code. Many pirates had a code. It was largely unwritten. Bart Roberts wrote it down or had it written down by Captain Charles Johnson. And it regularised how the pirates were to behave on his ships and it helped everybody know where they were and what was expected of them. And it's not bad. I'll run through a few of them. Every man has a vote in the affairs of the moment as equal title to fresh provisions or strong liquors at any time seized and may use them at pleasure unless scarcity makes it necessary for the good of all to vote a retrenchment. Practically working democracy. Yep. Fairly yeah, that seems very fair. Yeah. Mm. Every man to be called fairly in turn by list on board of prizes, if they defrauded the company to the value of a dollar in plate, jewels or money, marooning was their punishment. If they robbed amongst themselves, they were slit the ears and nose of the guilty person and set him on shore in a place where he was sure to encounter hardships. Mm. Yeah, you don't turn on your others. No person to game at cards or dice for money. Oh, wow. I I think that's really, really good. You know, play your games, have a bit of fun, don't gamble because that's where friendships end. I think that's brilliant. Very practical. Yeah. Lights out at eight. If anybody (laughs) wants to continue continue drinking after then, they must do it on the open deck. That's WHS. Yeah, but but you imagine in the tight confines of a ship, you don't want to be kept all night with people partying. No, you need a good night's you sleep. You don't want yeah. people having a tot and drinking and then knocking the candles over. That is mm-hmm. plain old WHS, go up on deck to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, number five, keep their piece, pistols and cutlers clean and fit for service. And that's Practical. the same in any militia, any armed force now. Be ready to go. No boy or women to be allowed amongst them. If a pirate brought a woman aboard and took her to sea disguised, he was to suffer death. Wow. So that's how strongly it was like, mm. don't don't bring kids and women on the ship for a start and, secondly, don't deceive us about it. Mm. So mm. to desert the ship or their quarters in battle, the punishment was death or marooning. 
So you're in it for the long haul. No striking one or other on board. Quarrels to be ended onshore with sword and pistol. <laughs> Again, I mean, you think about it. Those ships were not big. And if you had yeah. some sort of disquiet on the ship, you're in trouble. You've got big trouble and you can't act as a united force if you need to. And moreover, if someone was drawing out their pistols, what's the chance of someone else being shot who's got nothing to do with it and or destroying equipment that they need? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So um, when was this written? This was written around from 690 to 1730. Um, mm. Did I do Bart Roberts? Yeah, he was um, 1682 to 1722, yeah. Bart Roberts. So, so obviously unwritten laws and, you know, the written law of the, yeah. the sea. So it makes you think that how such a big thing a mutiny would have actually been. Yeah, well, it shows you how big a mutiny. Yeah, exactly. It shows you how because, big a mutiny because, was. Yeah, because you just know you wouldn't have done this, but the the gossip and the sort of stirring up of the crew and, you know, the other shipmates to actually be able to say, you know, no, we need to do this, we need to do this. Something must have been really wrong to break that law and then to actually cause a, a mutiny and do that. Yeah. It's and the- in, all in this. How big is a ship? I don't know. Like the size of a small house, you know, mm-hmm. sp- space-wise? Possibly. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't look yeah. into that bit, but, yeah, possibly. I know they weren't as big as you think they are. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple more which, again, are interesting. No man to talk of breaking up their way of living till each had shared £1,000. If any man in service was to lose a limb or become a cripple in their service, he was to get £800 out of the public stock and for lesser hurts proportionately. So Compensation they had deal. workers' comp. Yeah, yeah. Workers' yeah. comp, and they had, you know, they kept everything in kitty to make sure they had the funds to do it. I think it's great. Mm. So they had a better industrial relations set up as a pirate than you probably did working for the state. Well, yeah, they sound <laughs> decent people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Providing it's their way or the highway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but that's yeah, fine. You know, I mean, I was going to say it was safer than working in a coal mine, but um. No. Well, well, I don't know. Look, they had better time, WHS. You, think of, you <laughs> think of the time and what was going on on land, it's pretty grim around yeah. there. So to be able to be able to out, be out in the open sea, seeing different countries, like it's actually almost a better option. Yeah. You know, yeah. because you had to be fed. Yeah. You, know, you weren't just sort of scrambling around for yourself. You were part of the, a team and, yeah, doesn't sound too bad. No, well, I mean, I'm not saying every ship had this code, but it was a general code that applied around many ships or something similar. Do you know the Weddings Parties Anything song called Barrett's Privateers? Uh, I probably know the song. I don't know the name of it. Not really. I know Weddings Parties Everything. Yeah, it's about the young sailor who was clearly Mick Thomas had a trip to Canada and it had a big impact on him. He was a pirate and he got injured and lost his legs. Um, He was told he was going just to work on a ship. He wasn't going to be a pirate. Got to sea, found out that he's a pirate and ended up in a battle, lost his legs and ended up, it took him three years to get back to Canada where he would hopefully get a boat home to England. And um, it's a very sad song. But I don't think it would be untrue, shall we say. I think there were elements of it which are quite typical of the time. It's a great song. Anywho, with the pirate code, 
captain and quartermaster received two shares of a prize. Master, boatswain and gunner received one and a half shares and all other officers received one and a quarter shares and then it went down through the crew who received Mm. what. And it was codified. People knew what they were going to get. The last one of Bart Roberts' pirate code was musicians shall rest on the Sabbath, but on the other six days and nights, none without special favour. Entertainment, very important. Morale of the troops. Yep. There were lots of famous pirates for this time. I'll just have a quick look at a couple of them. What struck me when I was looking at them was that they all died roughly by the time they're 40, definitely by the time they're 50. Their time as a pirate was not long, but it was like these stars burnt bright and they faded quickly. So Bart Roberts, 1682 to 1722, he was the most successful pirate of the Golden Age, measured by vessels captured, and he operated in the Americans and off Americas and off West African coast. And he's known for creating the pirate code, and he adopted an early version of the Jolly Roger. His combination of bravery and success made his crew loyal to him. The inhabitants of Barbados and Martinique tried to end his pirate menace, so he swore vengeance against them. And he even had on his flag the letters ABH and AMH on it, which stood for a Barbadian's head and a Martinican, Martinican's head. So he left, left them in no doubt that he was gunning for them. Interestingly... He brought seaborne trade almost to a standstill in the West Indies. He was so good as a pirate. So because there was so little seaborne trade coming out of the Indies, he headed to West Africa and went over to Cape Verde and Sierra Leone. And in late 1721, he careened his ships, which is where they stick them up on a beach and they clean all the barnacles and crap off them and recork mm-hmm. them if they need to. And they had a break on the island of Annabon. So the HMS Swallow found them. They just happened to be spotted. It was pure luck. And so Bart Roberts got his ship back in the water and they got going and they had a big fight and Bart Roberts was killed by grape shot. 272 pirates served under Bart Roberts and were captured during his final battle and many consider the death of Bart Roberts to mark the end of the golden age of piracy. Bart Roberts is considered the archetypal pirate captain. He loved fine clothes and jewellery. And the dread pirate Roberts in the Princess Bride movie was inspired by Bart Roberts. Yay! Mm. (laughs) One of my favourite movies. I mean, another thing with pirate clothes, people thought they had a uniform. No, they just wore the clothes of the day. And if they captured a ship and there were fine clothes on it, they took the clothes and wore them. Why not? It's like what people do today. And here's another famous pirate. Is Francis Drake. He was a fascinating bloke. He really was. He was an explorer, captain, privateer and naval officer. He was best known for his circumnavigation of the world. He was the first Brit to spot the Pacific Ocean because he climbed a tree and had a look from a tree. He was on the Isthmus of Panama. He also is famous for the singeing of the Spanish king's beard in Cadiz before the Spanish Armada, and thanks to him doing that, he caused a 12-month delay of the Armada, which gave the Poms more time to get prepared because they knew it was coming. He was born in Devon and he was apprenticed to a bark, to a ship, and he sailed around and worked his way up and got his own ships. His 1572 trip was his first independent trip and that's where they planned the attack on the Isthmus of Panama. At that point, the Spaniards were just 
absolutely emptying South America and Central America of its gold and silver and treasure. Mm. And they would bring it down there, load it up to ships. And so Francis Drake wanted to get in on that, and he did. And in March 1573, he captured the Spanish silver train at, please forgive my accent, Nombre de Dios. And there was about 20 tons of silver. And he buried treasure then because he just couldn't get it all back onto the ship. But when they got back to the coast with the silver, the ship waiting for Francis Drake was gone. They had waited there a lot of time and plus a bit more and Francis Drake wasn't back. So they buried the treasure, they built a raft and sailed up the coast to where the flagship, they caught up with the flagship and and then they came back and, and buried some and came back another time and got it. So in August 1573 when Francis Drake got back, Elizabeth couldn't acknowledge his marvellous accomplishment because they had a truce with Spain and if they acknowledged that they had stolen all the Spanish silver, it would be war. So after that, Drake went to Ireland and participated in um, stuff over there, including um, the Rathlin Island Massacre, which I don't know much about, so I won't say any more. In 1577 to 1580, that's when he did his circumnavigation of the world. That was big. Let's face it. We'll just leave that one there. It's Mm. big. Did you find out how long that took, just out of interest? Three years. Wow. Okay, yeah. Three years. Yeah, stopping for supplies and whatnot because you didn't even know how big it was. Yeah, yeah. That was probably the equivalent of going to the moon back in their day. Absolutely because, well, Magellan had already done it, but Francis Drake was the first British to to do it. Mm. And he went up the coast of the Americas, up the west coast of the Americas. So they did capture a Spanish treasure ship near Lima and got that, so why not? They went up the coast of the USA as far and made landfall in Oregon and were friendly with the American Indians. So they went all that way up. Then they went across the Pacific over to Indonesia and they had a stop in Manila and then came home via the Cape of Good Hope. But they're well-known shipping lanes by that stage, Mm. so off they went back home. He had a jewel made and gave that to Elizabeth. He didn't have it made, I'm sorry. He gave Elizabeth a jewel taken as a prize off the Pacific coast of Mexico. And thankfully, it was not destroyed by Oliver Cromwell, so it survives today and is in, I think it's in the V&A Museum, not sure, or the British Museum. Mm. Yeah, so for his circumnavigation, he was knighted and he ended up in Parliament as well, but he didn't participate much in Parliament. 1585, England's at war with Spain. He was ordered to lead an expedition to the Spanish colonies as a preemptive strike. So that's privateering. And he plundered Santiago, Santo Domingo, and captured the Cartagena de Indias, raided San Augustine in Spanish Florida as well. And um, he went up to Roanoke, which was the Water Raleigh settlement, and replenished it and took back with him all of the original colonists. So the big thing in 1587 was he went and raided Cadiz in Spain. It was after Mary Queen of Scots had been executed. In April, Francis Drake went to Cadiz and the harbour was packed with ships and supplies as they were preparing the armada. Francis Drake attacked, inflicted heavy damage. It was called singeing of the king's beard and for that he delayed the armada by a year. In 1588 was the Spanish Armada. Drake was a vice admiral under Lord Howard of Effingham and he, the English fleet pursued the Armada up the English Channel and Drake organised the fire ships. One of the nights the Spanish were all sort of gathered at anchor and so they ordered these old little 
rowboats and things and set fire to them and sent them into the the current, took them into where all the Spanish were anchored. They had to scatter rapidly. There were big storms in the channel at this time and the wind blew the armada up around up north and they couldn't make landfall. And they ended up in terrible storms and things. The armada went around the top of England Dear listener, I'm actually indicating with my arms the top of England. <laughs> it's a great visual. It's, it's a visual. It is a visual feast for Sid and Captain, I can tell you. They went up around and they, many were shipwrecked in Ireland. Some were shipwrecked in Scotland. Many were shipwrecked in Ireland. And it took a long time for the Spanish sailors to get home. Some never did. So Drake helped greatly with that. And in 1589, he led a counter armada. Long story short, they lost 12,000 lives and 20 ships. Not good. 1595, he failed to conquer Las Palmas and there were a number of other defeats across Spanish America. And in 1596, he died from dysentery. For Drake to make his mid-50s for a pirate is unusual. For him to die of something like dysentery, not unusual. So Francis Drake, he was a big one. The other pirate I just wanted to talk about before we move on to Steed Bonnet was Blackbeard because Blackbeard and Steed Bonnet knew each other. Blackbeard, fascinating man. <laughs> Have either of you watched Our Flag Means Death? No, I haven't. No. no. Oh, Is it a documentary? No. No. It is Taika Waititi's take on oh, pirates. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, yes, Blair's watched that. See, I don't find that funny in the same way that, say, like Yellowbeard is funny. You know, I have not watched Yellowbeard. I keep meaning to what? and I haven't. What? That is my only knowledge of pirates. Yeah. Right, we, Captain, we've got to have a Yellowbeard night. I'm yeah, absolutely. That as well. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, you're on. Let's have a Yellowbeard night. Anywho, let's get on to Blackbeard. He is also known as Edward Teach or Edward Thatch. He was born roughly around 1680 and he died on the 22nd of November 1718. So the man wasn't even 40 when he died and we're talking about him still. He was a shrewd and calculating leader. He did not use violence very much. He relied on fearsome image to get what he wanted mm-hmm. from those he robbed. He was romanticised after his death. I mean, there's so many ideas of what Blackbeard is or was. He became the archetypal pirate in fiction and across many genres. He used an uninhabited island off New Providence as a base for his operations. And in 1717, he encountered Steed Bonnet and they hooked up for a while together. We'll move on over that. We'll gloss over that because we're moving on to Steed. In 1717, he captured a ship called the La Concorde and renamed it the Queen Anne's Revenge. And he put the crew of the La Concorde onto his smaller ship and sent them off to Martinique. So he didn't kill them. He gave them the option to join, but he said, Mm. off you go, take off. He equipped Queen Anne's Revenge with 40 guns. That's a lot of guns on a boat. On 5th of December 1717, he stopped the Margaret, ransacked the ship and the crews were prisoners whilst this happened. The captain of the Margaret described Teach as a tall spare man with a very black beard, which he wore very long. This is the first account of Teach's appearance and is the source of the name Blackbeard. Later descriptions say that the beard had he put braids in it and he also had ribbons in it in places, which makes sense. We didn't have elastic bands. They didn't have squid rings. How else were you t- to tie pigtails and ponytails he, and things up? He didn't GHD his beard. He didn't GHD like his a, like beard. A, in a West hip, hipster. 
Exactly. It seems likely that Blackbeard understood the value of appearances. Not for the same effect. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, Blackbeard was tall. He had broad shoulders, wore knee-length boots and dark clothing, and he wore wore a wide hat and sometimes a long coat of brightly coloured silk or velvet. See, this is where he would have nicked it off someone else. He would have taken it as booty. Um, Oh, look, all I'm picturing is that brief cameo in Pirates of the Caribbean with Keith Richards. Um, you, you've just summarised the Keith Richards look in that movie perfectly. Probably bar the beard, but everything else is right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Imagine what Keith would look like with a beard. I don't think there's any footage of that as far oh, as I'm aware. I don't know that he's ever had a beard. Hmm. He's had a mo. He's definitely had a mo. Has he? Very refined kind of mo. I didn't like the look of it. He, he experimented with that in his 60s. You can find it. It's kind of like you have a mm, kind of moment. Yeah. But maybe he did try to grow a bit of Blackbeard. He was around the Caribbean. He had an island up in the Carolinas where he used to stop and take stock and careen the ship and stuff. In May 1718, he blockaded Charlestown in the province of South Carolina. As the ships were coming out, he stopped and ransacked them. That's a good way of doing it. You don't have to sail around and you've got water resources on shore. You can just go in and get them. In June 1718, he sailed into North Carolina Beaufort Inlet to avoid English men of war and he intended to careen the ship and cleaning their hull. However, the Queen Anne's revenge ran aground and caused damage. He also learnt of pardons on offer and possibly confided in Bonnet about his willingness to accept it and he sent Bonnet off to see what the deal was. He wanted to see if it was a ruse or not because quite often they would, uh, the authorities would say, we're offering pardons to pirates. Come up and get your pardon. And they'd turn up and they'd go, ha-ha, tricked you, and capture them. So Blackbeard sent Steed Bonnet off to do that and he actually did get a pardon, but that's, again, part of Steed's story. Ocracoke Inlet was Teacher's favourite anchorage. In July, Governor Alexander Spotswood in the Carolinas made a proclamation that all pirates were to make themselves known to the authorities and give up their arms, not travel in groups larger than three. I'm trying to abridge all this and I'm not succeeding. There's just so much. The short of it is that the British Navy found Blackbeard in Ocracoke Island in the inlet and they tried to get Queen Anne's revenge going and they had a fight and they didn't really work. Teach was attacked and killed. And when it was all done and done, they um, beheaded the body and they threw the body into the inlet and Teacher's head was placed on the pole at the entrance to Chesapeake Bay as a warning to other pirates. And it stood there for several years. And uh, there's stories that in the waters around there, uh, Blackbeard is swimming without his head, looking for his head. Despite his infamy, Teach was not the most successful of pirates, but Roberts took an estimated five times the amount Blackbeard did. Treasure hunters have long searched for any trace of Blackbeard's rumoured hoard of gold and silver, but nothing's been found. But a ship presumed to be the Queen Anne's Revenge was found in 1996, and as of 2009, more than 250,000 artefacts have been recovered and, and are on display at the North Carolina Museum of uh, Maritime Museum. Blackbeard is interesting, full stop. Look, there's so much about pirates. It's so big. You've got to really choose which bits we're going to cover This brings us to the end of part one of our discussion of the golden age of pirates, dear listener. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and we hope that you will join us for part two of our discussion where we will focus on Steve Bonnet. If you would like to contact 
those of us at the podcast with no name, you can do so at podnoname at gmail.com or at at podnoname on Facebook. I know that if you do make contact, dear listener, Eddie will be beside himself with excitement and that is not something we see very often. Take care, dear listener, and stay safe. Thank you.